afternoon and good evening all you wonderful f1 fans around the world if you're hearing my voice that can only mean two things one that my name is kelsey and two you are listening to the newest edition of f 101 Well, as always, let's start off with our hot topics. Nothing but good news this hot topic this week and moving forward. We're done with all the controversy. It's just nothing but good news from here on out. And we're going to start with what I think is a massive step for the FIA, for F1, and for women's development in Formula One racing and in motor racing in general. The FIA and the F1 committees have officially announced that starting as of 2023, there will be a driver's academy replacing the W series that ran into financial trouble this year and that officially uh, no longer exists. So what this means is that replacing the W series, this is going to be a much more structured racing program for the women's. It's also meant to be as a developmental program for women as well. And the way that the FIA and F1 have framed it and how they've put it all out to the media is that this is a stepping block to I hope this happens in the very near future to integrating women into actual F1 racing, the stuff that you see on TV. So it won't just be for the boys that we're going to have women on the grid, which I am definitely excited about. So the way this academy is set up is that it's been subsidized from the F1, uh, the FIA, from the drivers, and from the actual teams themselves. Now, the teams we don't officially know yet which car teams will be in the academy you're looking at five teams uh run by current f2 and f3 teams now you'll see if you ever watch f2 or f3 they look a lot like the f1 car so you oh that'll be a williams car that'll be a red bull car that'll be a ferrari sponsored car but it's not ferrari racing in f2 it's not williams racing in f2 or f3 they are called different names but they are essentially the junior program for the big F1 racing teams themselves. So like I had mentioned before, we're talking five teams, three cars. We've got 15 cars on the grid, which is fantastic. Now, one of the issues that they had with the W Series is that they couldn't get proper funding. And when I mean proper funding, it wasn't just sponsorship, but it was just financial support for the racing program itself. They were looking at doing a record-breaking 10 races this season. They only got to seven before one of the sponsors had dropped out. They ran into financial issues they couldn't complete the series. So they only got seven races. They did crown a champion. Uh, there were enough points awarded that it was an all-out, no questions asked, you are the champion, congratulations. Uh, these women are going to have to get used to a much longer season. The F1 and FIA, again, have stated that you're going from seven races to now you're doing 21 actual scheduled races. Schedule's not quite out yet. We'll be expecting that just before the season starts, obviously. 21 races, and that is including... 15 days of official testing. Now, when you say, when I say official testing, I'm talking about car development. We're talking about tire development. Pirelli has signed on to be the major worldwide tire sponsor, as they should, which means that this Drivers Academy will help to develop the 2023, 2024, and so on Pirelli tires. We're talking about testing in the aerodynamic chambers. We're talking about testing on the track in all kind of weather conditions. And they will also have the full selection of the tires, just like the guys do. Intermediates, wets, softs, hards, mediums. There's even talk about Pirelli bringing back some of the old school tires that some of us remember that some of you don't. We're talking like the pink tire. The pink rim tires is the ultra soft tires. And there's even talk about an ultra hard tire just for some of those hotter races like you'd see in uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, out in the east. You know, the, the, the really hotter races, Texas, especially Vegas as well, when you're talking like 50 plus degrees on the track, they're hoping to bring in an ultra hard for better distance and better timing. But this is a fantastic news for not only women's driving, but just driving in general that I do hope to see. I'm going to put a date on it by 2025. 
they'll be more than established. Two years is more than enough time that we're going to start seeing women may not be, I want to see women in actual Formula One. I want to see women driving with the big boys. Now, will this happen in two years? I really, really, really hope so. When you look at some of the women drivers that are out there compared to some of the male drivers, the women are just kicking the crap out of them point-wise. When you take into consideration how many races you've done, you, you even it out across the board. Seven races, here are the women, seven races for the guys across the board, and the majority, the majority of the women, I should say, are scoring better than over half of the grid in Formula One. So I really hope we see these women out there very soon. Details have come out. They are driving with 165 horsepower car. You're talking Pirelli tires, uh, the T421 chassis, which would be the updated version of the W Series chassis that they did deal with. I mean, it's fantastic. And the way the FIA and F1 have financially done this makes much more sense until women's racing becomes much bigger than it is. They've made it sustainable. So what they've done is that the F1 has subsidized the cost of the cars and the budget of 150,000 pounds or euros, which comes out to about $207,000 Canadian. Uh, after that, drivers will cover the same amount, which means the drivers and their sponsors. This is the major part where the women have just as many sponsors and just as big a sponsors as the guys do. There is money in women's racing. I don't know why it wasn't sustainable before, but the women will be, the drivers will be on the hook with their sponsors for the other half. And then the teams that they physically drive for will cover the rest of the cost for the entire year. We're talking parts replacement, development, um, you name it, the rest of the team will cover it. So this makes it much, much more economic sense and it will make it much more affordable for now until the academy gets its legs underneath it and they'll be just as popular as the men's racing. I am ridiculously excited about this. I really, really am. I mean, I can't wait to see the talent that comes through this academy. And that's what this, like I said, this is what this academy is for. It's to develop women's racing at the same rate that men's Formula One and, and motorsport racing is being evaluated at and nurtured and cultured to become those F1 superstars that we all know. And the management of this academy, they're not outsourcing it. It's being managed by the Formula Motorsport CEO. Like, they're bringing in the big guns. They're doing this properly because they know they need to. It's another fan base that they want to tap into. Again, essentially, it breaks down to cash is king. They want more women in the sport because it's going to bring them more money. I want more, men, more women in the sport just to bring the competitiveness in Formula 1 and motorsport and Formula 2 and 3. I want to see in the future... I don't want to call it mixed racing, but I want to see both men and women in Formula 2, Formula 3, and Formula 1 driving together. There's absolutely no difference in the way they drive. The only difference is the horsepowers of the vehicle, which essentially is how you make it up through the ranks. You get faster and faster and faster from F3 to 2 to 1. The cars just get bigger and faster. The strategies are the same. They change from track to track. Drivers know how to drive, whether you're male female or whatever when you make it to the pinnacle of this sport you'll be able to hang with the professionals i mean there's 20 drivers doesn't mean and there's no reason why it can't be 10 and 10 it can't there's absolutely no reason why it can't be a mixed grid and you know what put some pressure on these boys make them drive somebody that they didn't grow up with a lot of these guys max and lando and lewis and all these guys they essentially came up together within a couple of years so they've known each other for so long Let's throw something different at them. Let's throw, a, let's throw a, a wrench in the gears. Let's see how these guys do with more adversity and someone they haven't driven with ever and make them race better. So this is amazing news. I can't wait for this to be 2023. Uh, I will be covering the Drivers Academy next season in 2023 just because I am, I am absolutely so excited. So moving on, uh, Haas officially named who they're replacing, Mick Schumacher. It's been one of those you know, not really well-kept secret secrets. Uh, they're bringing back Nico Hulkenberg for the 2023 seat. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Nico Hulkenberg is, 35 years old, he did race uh, before 2019. He did race with Renault. Uh, he was the full-time driver. He also used to race with K-Mag, who is currently the number one seat in Haas. Now, they don't, historically, they don't get along. 
and not just with each other, but on the racetrack. They always seem to get themselves tangled up amongst themselves and somebody bumps somebody, somebody cuts somebody off. Uh, team orders are generally ignored. Like it's that kind of race history that these guys have. There is a very uh, infamous and famous F1 clip after a post interview between Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnuson. I uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it kind of sums up what their driving history was. So by all means, hop on YouTube and just uh, type that in Nico Hulkenberg and K Meg post race interview. It's it's hilarious, and that's I mean that's what we know these two guys are like. Now it has been stated that it's all in the past. They've both grown as drivers. It's not going to be like that anymore. But it was only 2019. It wasn't that far off. Granted, when they drove for Renault, which is now Alpine, it wasn't the best car, but it wasn't the worst car. And now Hulkenberg is just coming back to, in my what, what my opinion would be, a worse car than Renault was back in the day. So, yeah, he hasn't raced for a while. He's been in the he's been in the background. He's done some simulator testing and he's done some tire testing and all that kind of stuff. So he knows the general layout of the brand new cars. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows how to drive them properly. He did get into a race this season. He had replaced uh, Nicholas Latifi when he had COVID. So he has driven one race this season. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what he's like driving with his old teammate again. Uh, a little bit of a little bit of history, and I don't understand why Haas went this way. Is that they chose Nico Hulkenberg? He's got the experience. He has done 184 races. Okay, that's great. He's completed 182. He had a couple that were, I think it was a couple of crash. Uh, one was a crash. One was a, a, a malfunction for the power unit. He's never won. And I, and I don't mean like he's never gotten first place. I mean, he's never gotten on the podium in 184 races. Now, when you have the choice between Daniel Ricardo, who has won races and scored major points, or you're going to go back with a 35-year-old driver who hasn't driven full-time since 2019, and he has absolutely zero podium points ever. I think he's made the top five once or twice, max. That's it. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Granted, Hulkenberg probably was a lot cheaper and just wants to get his foot back in the door again and prolong his career because you're seeing drivers, Lewis Hamilton, uh, Fernando Alonso, like these guys are going well into their early 40s, which before was unheard of. You were done driving when you hit 35. And these guys are proving that with a proper team, proper development, and taking care of yourself that you can drive for much longer than you would normally think. It, it kind of gave that sparkle, I think, to Nico to be like, hey, I can still do this. He did a couple of practice um, runs when Giovinazzi came up when Haas was looking for a driver. He impressed the best, which means he didn't crash because Giovinazzi just absolutely fucked that car right up with his one... I think he made one lap and crashed the car and that was done with his test. So it doesn't make him look very good, but it makes Nico look amazing. Like he was the only option, but he will be taking the 2023 seat, which means Mick Schumacher is officially as of right now, he has absolutely no seat in formula one period. Now I, he, at this point, he's not going to get a starting position in 2023. All the seats have been filled. Everybody's under contract, but this does mean that there are still a couple teams, uh, Mercedes, notably, that do not have a third driver. So with all the Oscar Piastri fiasco this year and the Nick DeVries coming up, um, you know, little side caveat, congratulations, uh, Logan Sargent. He got fourth in Abu Dhabi in Formula 2, which means he's got enough super license points. Congratulations, you are the new 2023 driver in Williams replacing Nicholas Latifi. That rounds out all of the empty seats, which leaves Mick you know, SOL. He doesn't have anywhere to actually race. But like I said, Mercedes doesn't have a third driver. They don't have a testing driver, which if anybody in Mick Schumacher's camp was even remotely intelligent, they'd be camped at the door at Mercedes going, you need to pick him up. You need to sign him. He's got he's got the the pedigree. He's got some experience. He's got a couple years experience, you know, at least two which, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you are eighth in the constructors, you've got the bottom of the grid car, almost, besides Williams. Woohoo! I mean, that's not exactly encouraging for someone's development. So if Mercedes is intelligent, and if Mick can, I don't want to say sell it properly, but if he can represent himself in the right light, in the right way, 
I think that's a match made in heaven. That's the type of legacy that the Schumachers deserve. That Mick needs to be the third driver in Mercedes. Even if he doesn't drive a single race all year, and I mean all year or even two years, just to be in the Mercedes developmental program being the third driver, you get to see what a real car feels like. You get to see and feel what a real family is in the racing world. His development will just absolutely skyrocket in a year. And I guarantee you that if he goes with Mercedes, that he if he gets in that third seat, just the experience off track, he will be 10 times the driver that Kevin Magnussen will ever be. And he already would be 10 times the driver that Nico Hulkenberg will ever be. And I think it would serve Haas right if Schumacher went to Mercedes and he just absolutely smokes them every time he races them because I don't think they gave Schumacher a proper try. Yeah, he was driving against Mazaspin. Okay, he looked great behind a veteran who didn't really lead. Let's be honest. They brought in Kevin Magnussen to be the first, the front driver, to be the first driver, and to help develop Mick Schumacher. And from seeing the races and the development of both drivers, from my point of view, just being from a fan, listening to the interviews, seeing all the stuff that I could find online, like official reports and all that kind of stuff, K-Mag just spent the year getting himself ready. Like, he didn't help Mick Schumacher at all. If anything, Mick had the, one of the most challenging seasons as an up-and-coming driver still, as a rookie driver, I would call him, just because he had so much pressure on him because of his name. He was with a constructor that didn't have car development that he absolutely needed. Now they've got two brand-new sponsors. They'll be able to hit the cap budget, which is great for everybody else except for Mick. It's kind of like you're going to be the seat filler until something better comes along, or you just don't exceed our unattainable expectations, I think is what, what uh, it seems like to me. So Mick, he doesn't have a seat yet. Camp out in front of Mercedes. If you're listening to this, Mick, camp out in front of Mercedes. Make them realize what a great choice you are and they need you as a third driver. It would help them and it would absolutely 100% help you. Moving on to somebody else who doesn't have a seat next year, official driving seat, Daniel Ricciardo. Again, not a whole lot to report on the signing or the not signing with Red Bull. He was asked after the Grand Prix in Abu Dhabi if, you know, are you a, are you a driver? Are you signed with Red Bull yet? He had this massive smile on his face. I mean, he's got the worst poker face I have ever seen in my entire life. He said nothing has been signed yet, but his smile was reaching ear to ear. You could tell that. It was, but it hasn't been official yet. It's kind of like they're waiting for they're waiting for the letter to come in the mail to go. Yep, you are officially there. When everybody knows it's where he's going, um, what his responsibilities will be, we found out a little bit more. He'll be doing more media responsibilities for Red Bull. He'll be doing a lot of simulator developments. He'll be doing a lot more off track development of him, not necessarily the car, but of him. He will be doing some of the Pirelli testing. He will be doing some of the um, practice laps development all that kind of stuff for what would be the 2024 car so not necessarily anything that's associated with the 2023 because that's essentially almost done and dusted for most teams by this point for next season so he'll be doing most of the developmental driving and the sim driving for the 2024s i think this is the best move that he can possibly make he's going home he's going back to where he got the majority of his wins where he felt most comfortable i mean it, it seems like daniel's comfortable no matter where he goes except for Renault that was just a really bad life experience for him but yeah as of right now nothing's been signed he's still potentially the third driver for Red Bull I'm expecting to see on social media and the official posts off of Twitter and then the F1 website and all that kind of stuff that uh, he will officially be the third driver within the next week or so this also gives him the opportunity to work on himself to take that to take that break that yes he will be on location for the drives but he's not driving he still gets to enjoy seeing formula one again he gets to enjoy moto racing more than he has in the last few years he gets to be a fan again he gets to separate himself a little bit and go like that this is amazing this is fantastic i love watching this i love being part of the fans you know it's just having that nice relaxing weekend again unless something happens somebody gets sick somebody gets hurt off track or even on track and they can't race the next week that's where he would slot in. But I think for him, it's going to be a fantastic mental reset. So hopefully we'll hear more. 
And then, yeah, like I had mentioned before, Logan Sargent, fourth in Abu Dhabi. He does uh, he does clinch his super license points. Super excited to see what he's going to be able to do in Williams. He, I've watched him race. He's not, he's not spectacular to watch. He's not as exciting as, let's say, Max or Leclerc. Or if you want to do, you know, rookie comparisons, he's not as exciting as Nick DeVries is. But he is that ridiculously consistent driver that Williams needs. He may not be top five. He may not be top three, depending on what kind of development Williams is able to do. But I do expect Logan to find his niche and to find his rhythm really early in the season. And I do expect him to score more points than any Williams driver has in the last five seasons combined. I do expect to see him in the top 10 more often than not. 23 races next season. It would have been 24, but they did drop the Chinese Grand Prix. So as of right now, we're sitting at 23 races. I expect to see him in the top 10 I mean, probably half. I would say confidently at least half of the season he will be in the top 10. He'll be collecting points. So can't wait to see him. Moving on from the hot topics, let's talk about qualifying. Qualifying, it felt a little different this time. You could tell that it's it's the last race of the year. Everyone is either mentally done and dusted and they're just kind of going through they're going through the the routine. They're just going through the checkbook. Okay, that's done. Checking everything off. I'm thinking more like Williams and Haas. I mean, they're not they're not in a point battle where if they win everything, it's not going to be substantial. So they're just kind of checking off the boxes. They just want to get through today, no crashes, get some consistent racing, develop the car a little bit, and then we're done. Top three teams, you could tell, okay, championship's done. So I don't want to say Red Bull was just kind of coasting through and going through their paces, but you could see there was a lot, uh, at least Max's side, there was a lot less urgency this weekend in qualifying. And I've never seen such, how do I put this? I've never seen such an organized and calm, yet extraordinarily fast qualifying as I have this year in this race to yesterday morning. No drama whatsoever nothing on nothing on the track nothing off the track no penalties everyone was staying within their limits but these guys were hauling ass you could tell there was that midfield battle for points so nobody wants to screw up and gets time and get their track time deleted where all of a sudden they're a lot lower than they needed to be Everybody knew where the track limits were on this track. It's generally the last corner before you hit that straight stretch before the start finish line. When you hit that apex, it's almost a really, it's a really wide turn and the white line is right there. So all the midfield teams were not chancing it. They know the top three teams are going to kill it. They know they're going to be, you know, potentially one through six. Okay. Congratulations. Let's move on. The midfield guys were like, Hey, where do we need to be with the car that we have? What can we do? to maximize our positions to get the most points. And you could tell that everybody drove with this type of cautious confidence. At this point, you know what the car can do. The cautious part is I don't want to hit the track limits. So you were seeing braking a little earlier than you normally would, but yet on the straight stretches in this track, you were seeing more speed than you normally would. It was it was amazing. And then outside of the, the midfield, you could see the top three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes, it felt like the very beginning of the season. It felt like the top three teams that you know can show up and perform, they were showing up and performing. They were definitely separating themselves performance-wise and time-wise on the track from the rest of the field. It was great to see. It was the top three teams. It was definitely a guessing game on who's going to be first to who's going to be sick. These guys were just absolutely so close to each other. And that was, I mean, it was great. It was great to see. It was a very quick qualifying, like I said, no drama, and these guys are generally finishing where they should. So let's just get into it right now. The qualifying standings, your bottom five, Kevin Magnuson in 16th, didn't make it out of Q1. What a turnaround from week to week. He gets Q1 last race in qualifying before the sprint. It was amazing. He killed it. He was repping around about the same time as he did last week, and that didn't even get him out of Q1. So 16th for Magnuson. Gasly in 17th, Bottas in 18th, Albin in 19th, Nicholas Latifi in 20th. Now, don't forget, there's four drivers in this grid that after this race this weekend officially don't have a job. And in your bottom five, you've got Nicholas Latifi that's done after this season, and you've got 
Pierre Gasly, who's switching teams at the end of the season. So you've got two guys that, one, who could probably care less once the season over with, and I, I almost guarantee you that you will never see Nicholas Latifi in Formula 1 again. And then you've got Pierre Gasly at 17th, that he still needs to prove that he is a valuable asset going to Alpine next season. And the last couple races, he's kind of shown glimpses of it, but they just, Alfa Tari just couldn't put it together in Q1 uh, Saturday morning. Going on to Q2, Yuki Tsunoda, Mick Schumacher, Daniel Ricciardo in 13th, Lance Stroll in 14th, and Joe Guan Yu in 15th. Again, no massive surprises in there. I was hoping to see uh, Mick Schumacher a little higher up on the grid, um, but you know it is what it is. 12th is still better than last, so he is making improvements. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, that's it for him. Hopefully, he'll make more improvements in 2023 if he gets another seat. Uh, Q3, it was... Like I said, the top dogs were the top dogs, and the midfield pros, you could definitely tell, brought their A games for the last game of the season. They want those points. They're going to do their best. Top 10, Fernando Alonso in 10th, Sebastian Vettel in 9th, Esteban Ocon in 8th, Lando Norris in 7th, uh, Russell in 6th, Hamilton in 5th, two Ferraris, 4th and 3rd. You've got Seitz in 4th, Leclerc in 3rd, and then as always, Red Bull is up front and center Perez in two max in one. Now controversy last year or not last year, last week, max didn't help out Perez at all. Uh, his tune has definitely switched. I guess he, uh, the in-house meetings behind closed door meetings seem to have really, you know, made their point and said at home as like, Hey, yeah, you've won the championship, but we won the constructors as a team start being a teammate they were trying to help each other. There's a reason why Perez was second behind Max. Max just had a more powerful car this time. There was no point in potentially not getting one, two. If, uh, if your car is faster than Ferrari and Perez can get second, then let's just do that. That's how they set it up. But it was a much more team effort for qualifying, I should say. And yeah, for qualifying, that's pretty much it. There was not a whole lot of drama. So yeah, absolutely. Let us move on to the race. We're talking about the main event, round 22, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, 58 laps, 16 turns, top speed of 347 kilometers an hour, distance per lap, 5.28 kilometers, the lap record held in 2021 by the one and only Max Verstappen at a minute 26. Total attendance this weekend was amazing. It was 160,000 people came out for the last race of the season. Granted, not as exciting as a, of a climax for the end of the season as it was last year, just because the drivers and the constructor championship have been done and dusted. We know who's won it. We know who's won it by how much. This was definitely a race for second between Red Bull and Ferrari, as well as the massive race in the midfield. So let's get right into it right away. You could tell right off the bat that the strategy of the day was going to be your tire strategy. These tires had the perfect weather window. Now, Red Bull, especially Checo Perez, have been known to really save their tires and not have to go through as many sets as, let's say, Ferrari or let's say as Mercedes or something along that line or those teams along that line, I should say. And that really came into the strategy for everybody today. You want to make the least amount of pit stops as possible. It, you're losing 22 seconds every time you go in for a set of tires. And these guys' times are ridiculously close, like between... In qualifying between first and sixth, you're talking about less than a second. So when all of a sudden you're losing 22 seconds, you're not dropping just one one position or two. You're dropping like five, six, seven positions, depending on how far they're apart. So tire degradation was definitely something that they needed to keep an eye on today. And they also needed to decide if you're doing a one pit stop or you're doing a two pit stop today. Uh, midfield battles like we have never seen all year. Generally, you see the midfield battles, and by midfield battles, we're talking about teams that are like uh, Alfa Romeo, we're talking about McLaren, Alpine, um, Aston Martin, all those guys. The midfield teams, generally, they do their major battling about five, six races from now. It's not generally this close when it comes to points, but the way this season has gone with the new cars, the new regulations, it's really tightened things up in the points race which is definitely what we want to see. And it made for a very exciting midfield battle is set, especially this race uh, at the end of the season today. But if someone was to ask me before I broke it down, what I gave as an overall thought to the race, 
I would say slightly anticlimactic, but that's just because I'm comparing it to probably one of the most exciting races that anybody has seen in the last five years from last year in Abu Dhabi when it came right down to it between Max and Lewis. Now, to compare this race to that race, you will be extremely disappointed. If you were looking forward to a battle like that today, you weren't going to get it. Today was the strategists and the numbers number type person's wet dream of a kind of race. It was down to, you know, lap times. It was down to where you get caught in traffic. Abu Dhabi is known for getting drivers stuck in traffic from slower cars. There's only a couple places that you absolutely can pass with ease and with proper speed to keep your lap times to catch up to your next competitor. There is a lot of traffic on this course. A lot of the big names that were looking for higher positions, they got caught in traffic. We're talking... You know, Fernando Alonso, we're talking Sebastian Vettel, Checo Perez. All these guys are getting caught in traffic at the most inopportune times, which, like I said, that part of the race is exciting. But overall, not exactly, you know, the a barn burner that you would expect. But let's break the race down team by team, at least the teams that we needed to watch for the Constructors uh, Championship points. Let's start with Red Bull. As always, as it's been the theme for the last 14 races, or at least 14 races of this season, Max Verstappen's car, I don't know what they put in it. Maybe they put some Red Bull in the gas tank. Who knows? This car was faster than anybody else on that track, and it's it's not necessarily conditions. It's just the consistency that you've seen from the Red Bull Honda unit, and it's been the consistency from Max's driving and all the components, and it just came together again for qualifying and again for this race. Max just took off. No one could catch him. There were no mistakes. Unfortunately, when it means Max's car is ridiculously fast, that Checo Perez, his number two, does have a tendency to struggle. Now, you would think with the points being as close as they are, Red Bull would give all the advantages to Checo. Absolutely. But you can't forget that Max is also trying to set records. He's looking for his 15th win to set an F1 record. 15 wins in one season, I think, is going to be ridiculously difficult to break and he's still looking for that new record but Checo Perez's car super consistent uh no massive mistakes a couple of lockups here and there the car just didn't seem to have the pace that Max's car has uh and unfortunately for Checo I mean he's known as the Mexican Minister of Defense because his defending is great but he's also known for being able to make his tires last a lot longer than his competitors including Max Unfortunately, today, I don't know if it was just the weather or if it was just his driving style or if it was just one of those days and he caught a couple of pairs of tires that they just didn't last like they normally would. Normally, Max, or not Max, Checo can get a set of mediums that would last 20, 25 laps. He was lucky to get 18, 19 laps, which unfortunately for Checo put him on a two-stop strategy today. I don't think it was necessarily the strategy that they wanted to go with. They wanted to go for a one-stop just like Max. But, you know, you got to adapt. You have to be able to, you know, make up your strategy and feel confident about your strategy mid-race. Now, if you're doing a two-stop, you're hoping that your competitors will also do a two-stop. The majority of the grid today, including Mercedes and including Ferrari, they were also doing two-stops. So it did fit into the strategy of everybody else. But... Checo really, really, really had to, you know, keep his keep himself focused, put the pedal to the metal. Sometimes you could see a little bit of desperate driving just because he's trying to keep that pace. He's trying to catch up, especially after his second pit stop. You're losing 22 seconds again, and you're coming the near the race, near the end of the race. So you have to make up that time to your competitors while passing everybody through traffic, which can definitely slow people down. All in all, Red, Bay, Red Bull's race... It's another consistent race. It was great. It was amazing. I mean, it's what you expect from them on the last race of the season. So, I mean, you know, I'll give them a number rating. I'll give them like an eight and a half out of 10. It was great. It was would have been nice to see Max help Checo out more than what he did. But when your car is that much more superior to your teammate's car, there's only so much you can do before you start putting yourself in compromising situations where you may potentially be more harm than help. Moving on, Mercedes, it was just, it was a tough day for the Mercs today. The qualifying that they had had yesterday was great. 
They were on pace. They were killing it. Not nearly as fast as they were the weekend before, but you can see that consistency and you can see that development and understanding really, really sink in. Great start from everybody, especially the top three teams. Great start, super fast, nose to nose. It was amazing. And then, I mean, Lewis ends up picking up some damage. Uh, he did get pushed wide uh, over, a cur- over a curb through a corner. So he did, you know, I don't want to say he went airborne, but if you looked really, really fast when he went over the curb, all four tires were off the ground for a split second. Lands, I don't want to say awkwardly, but he didn't land flat. And kind of from there on, Lewis was able to keep up in the top five. But the strategy that he had with Mercedes and just the pace that he was able to eventually lose and not keep was not exactly his his best effort. It didn't help him any. And then I do feel that Mercedes left him kind of left him high and dry with the tire strategy where he's asking, okay, so how many laps? What's my split time? And he is asking if they're going to bring him in for new tires. It kind of felt like Max, or not Max, it kind of felt like Lewis just, I don't want to say gave up, but he's relying more and more on his strategists than his, his history in Formula One, than his experience. You, you would expect the seven-time champion to be like, hey, we've got so many laps left. I need new tires. They're not holding on. But he was waiting for them to call him in. And it kind of ultimately screwed him over because he kept losing pace. He kept losing speed. His tires just did not have the grip that he needed. And he ultimately finished lower than he wanted to. As far as his compatriot, Russell, George Russell, it was a very, very, very quiet race for him. He was in there for the first five or six laps. Um, but after that, you just he's kind of in no man's land. He, he ended up still in the top five, which is great for him. Very consistent driving for him. He's really come into his own for the first year in Mercedes. I'm not taking anything away from him. I just kind of expected a little bit more of a push for him. I expected him to help out Hamilton in the race more than he did. Uh, he just kind of seemed complacent with where he was. Get the points. Uh, it kind of just seemed like, get the points. Let's get the season over with. Let's regroup. We've done well. Let's just keep the pace. And we'll upgrade the car again next year. A little disappointing in Russell today, but uh, I can't I can't fault him. Consistent drive, no big, no accidents, no and no lockups. So super consistent. He gets his point. Uh, rating for Mercedes, I'm gonna give him I'm gonna give him a seven, six and a half, seven out of ten. I do think that they could have brought a lot more to the table for the last race, but hey, there's always next year. Uh, let's move on to Ferrari. Ferrari together today seemed like and felt more like the Ferrari at the beginning of the season. They were on pace. They were pushing Red Bull. They were making Red Bull concentrate and it wasn't going to be an easy win for them. Checo, they had him and they hunted him all day long. They put pressure on Max. They made these guys race. Um, It was great. It absolutely was amazing. Leclerc, calling his own shots, making really good decisions, driving with a ton of confidence, him and Sites driving together, which was amazing to see. They were driving as a team. It wasn't, let's make sure Leclerc gets the points or let's make sure Sites gets more points. It's let's do best for the team. We are Ferrari drivers. It's not one versus two. We're not driving separately. We're driving as a team and you could really see it. They drove very consistently. Thank God, at least at this point, at the end of the season, nobody spun out, nobody crashed, nobody's car caught on fire. There wasn't any super risky or stupid strategic calls from Ferrari, which was fantastic to see. Unfortunately, it came at the end of the season. They could have done this with kind of consistency in the middle of the season, but at least, I mean, they didn't screw up the last race of the year, which was great. Uh, they ended up splitting strategies, which was a little bit different for Ferrari. They wanted both guys to be on a two-stop race. It ended up being, Carlos Seitz ended up being on a two-stop race just because his tire degradation was a little bit more than Leclerc. And Leclerc just had the magic touch today. Ended up going for a one-stop strategy, went straight to hards, and just kept on keeping on. Again, around about that halfway mark, they were able, or he was able to push those tires a little bit further in their lifespan than he normally would. It just it clicked for them today. It was It was fantastic. And then when you get to the midfield, I mean, like I said, the uh, the Aston Martin, the Alpines, the Alfa Romeos, a little bit of McLaren mixed in there. McLaren not as 
predominant as I had hoped to see them. They were kind of, I mean, they want to chase Alpine for points, but they're not going to lose any points from like Aston Martin or Alfa Atari behind them or Alfa Romeo just because they're that far ahead in the constructors. So super consistent. It was great to see. Uh, Lando Norris, he is the no man's, no man land representative this season it's always when he's driving a really good race when he's super consistent nothing happens he's always by himself he's too far behind the top six to make any difference but he's so far ahead in the rest of the you know he's the best of the rest that he would literally have to spin out crash stop take a break and then keep going for anything exciting for him to happen again that's what happened to him today. No man's land today. He picks up seventh. Really, really consistent points. He has scored in, I think it's, I think he's gotten points in 16 or 17 races out of the 22 this year. He's been Mr. Consistent all season long. It's been amazing. It's been great to see. Daniel Ricardo, on the other hand, I mean, he's doing his best with the car that he has. It is his final race. It was good. He did finish in the top 10, which is fantastic for him. He went out on a good note. He was doing his best, and you could tell that he he was starting to just enjoy it. He was having fun. He wasn't trying too hard enough to make mistakes, but he wasn't lackluster enough that he didn't care. It was just, you could tell he was having an emotional last race, a great last race. Both of them end up in the points, which is amazing. Um, the battle between them and Alpine and Aston Martin, it was just back and forth, back and forth. No crashes, no collisions. It was great. Because these guys are finally realizing that if I can't finish, I can't get points. That was the majority of the race. I know it doesn't sound particularly enthusiastic, but that's essentially the makeup of this race was just a lot of passing back and forth. Um, the majority of it was done when these guys are going in for pit stops. A lot of these guys went from one-stop strategies to two-stop strategies. I know I sound like I'm repeating myself, but it was just kind of the, the theme of the day. These guys were pushing each other so hard that you would that they went from a one-stop strategy to a two-stop, which made it a little bit more interesting. You know, and just to throw in a little bit of a monkey wrench to add a little bit more drama, unfortunately, lap 28, Fernando Alonso, he's leaving Alpine, and I, I think at this point he's celebrating because he doesn't have to deal with the inconsistency of the Alpine engine, which is a Renault engine, which is absolute trash. They used to be the engine unit for Red Bull until they decided to go with Honda. Thank God. I mean, Fernando Alonso lap 28. He had a water leak and he ended up not finishing the race again. He was on point today. He was having fun. He was overtaking people. He was in the points and he just, he ended up slowing down, slowing down and he just ended up stopping. He stopped in the pit lane. He was able to make it all the way around, which was great. There was one yellow flag for about 30 seconds. Uh, Nicholas Latifi, congratulations. You keep your consistency alive. You end up getting into a collision with Mick Schumacher, both guys that don't have a that don't have a seat for next year. They're at the bottom of the pack anyway, so it didn't really matter, but yellow car or yellow flag, they end up touching, they both spin out. It looked like synchronized driving. It was kind of cute. They both spun out, ended up in the same direction. They were able to continue. Um Nicholas Latifi did end up not finishing the race for absolutely unknown reasons. We don't know what it is yet. All the reports he just DNF. I am thinking the fact that when he did spin out he did hit the barrier over the gravel. There had to have been some kind of maybe wing damage or to the exhaust unit or something along that line that wouldn't let him finish, but they were both able to finish the lap. Uh, Mick Schumacher was able to finish the race. And then, I mean, lap 55, DNF, Lewis Hamilton, he had a hydraulic failure, and it was absolutely heartbreaking for him. He was in the top five. He was definitely in the points that Mercedes... I mean, they did need, but ultimately wouldn't make a much of a difference, but he ended up DNFing lap 55 of 58. He stayed out forever and ever, and he, I don't think it had to do with the fact that they left him out with old tires that weren't exactly, you know, being amazing, but yeah, he just reported that he had a power failure, that he didn't have any get up and go, and then Literally after that, maybe 30 seconds, he's just like, yeah, I've got no shifting. And he just coasted all the way around for one more lap, finished his off, finishes his year off with a mechanical failure, a DNF for Mercedes, which is unfortunate for him. And it was, yeah, 
that was pretty much the equivalent of the race. Max Verstappen does end up winning the race, as everybody would think. It's his 15th win, uh, sets an F1 record. He finished 8.7 seconds ahead of the second place competitor. He literally just drove away with it. There was no controversy. There was no challenge. I mean, even when he went in for a pit stop, he got his tires. He did a one-stop strategy. It took him maybe two laps to pass his competitors, and he just kind of drove away with it. Unfortunately, with that kind of pace, with that kind of lead, he was not able to help Chaco Perez secure second. Uh, he did get in third. He was 1.2 seconds behind Leclerc. It came down to the absolute last lap. Came down to like five corners. Uh, earlier in the race, they figured out where Checo Perez lost his time. He, Him and Lewis Hamilton were in a battle and they were passing and going back and forth. And then Checo made a lunge. He passed Hamilton on the track a little bit, like four corners too early. And then Hamilton came back and ended up passing him again, which slowed Perez down just enough for one extra lap that that's where they figured that's where he lost the 1.2 seconds. So not really a driver mistake, uh, maybe just bad timing, but really good racing back and forth. Leclerc does end up in second and then Perez does end up third. Unfortunately for Perez, that does mean that he does not, and for Red Bull, that he does not secure second place in the driver's standings uh, just because Leclerc did finish ahead of him. He will be in third, three points behind Leclerc. When Max crosses the finish line, you know, of course, obviously you've got the congratulations you've won, the fireworks go off, all this kind of stuff, and then you figure out that Leclerc is second and Perez is third. You know, you get the very quick congratulations, but for this Grand Prix, it was more of a more of a somber Grand Prix than anything else because we do have four drivers that we will not see next season. And we're not talking like, okay, we're kind of, we may or may not see them. We will not see them drive absolutely at all. And we're talking about Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel. We're talking about Nicholas Latifi and Mick Schumacher. All four guys we will not see next season in the seat. So, I mean, it was a congratulations, Max. But at the very, in the same moment, it was a, well, this kind of sucks because we're not going to see some championship drivers back here next season that, the fans love, the drivers love, and the drivers respect. So I'll give you the top 10. I'll give you the constructors, and then uh, I'll give you a little bit more information after that. The top 10, we've got Max 1, and then Leclerc second, Perez third, Carlos Seitz in fourth, George Russell in fifth, Lando Norris in sixth, Esteban Ocon in seventh, Lance Stroll in eighth, Daniel Ricciardo in ninth, and Sebastian Vettel in tenth. Big, big day for Aston Martin. It was great to see them. Uh, with the kind of racing that they had today. Stroll and Vettel, they were racing, again, like teammates. They had figured out, at least Lance Stroll did, don't be an idiot. Drive like you need to finish the race because we need the points, we need the money, because they're definitely in that uh, points battle with Alfa Romeo. So they definitely needed both teammates to actually complete the race. Uh, Mercedes, Daniel Russell got the points for them. Like I said, it was a, it was a great race. Drivers championship points max obviously won now leclerc is in second place he wins second place with 308 points perez 305 george, george russell is in fourth with 275 points carlos sites now leapfrogs lewis hamilton with 246 points for fifth lewis hamilton drops to sixth with 240 points lando norris 122 points esteban Ocon with 92 points Fernando Alonso, even with his DNF, still gets ninth with 81 points. And good old Mr. Consistency, Valtteri Bottas in 10th, 49th points, 49 points. We're going to go to 11 and 12 now. Daniel Ricciardo is in 11th. He goes up to 11th with 37 points. Sebastian Vettel drops to 12th with 37 points. Now, you're going to say, well, they're tied. So how does that make sense? How does one drop and one rise? So the only reason why Daniel Ricciardo got 11th is because several races back, including this one, even though their points are the same, Daniel Ricciardo finishes, had more higher finishes than Sebastian Vettel, which is why 37 points each, but Ricciardo is 11th, Vettel is 12th. They take into consideration who had the better grid place and whoever had the better finishes throughout the season. Constructors' championship points, absolutely nothing changes. Red Bull still won with 759 points. Ferrari, 554 points. Mercedes with 515 points. Alpine with 173 points. 
McLaren with 159 points. Alfa Romeo with 55 points. Aston Martin in seventh with 55 points. Again, Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin tied, but Alfa Romeo has had more higher, has had higher finishing rates than Aston Martin, which is why they had sixth and seventh. Haas stayed in eighth with 37 points, only two points ahead of Alfa Tari with 35, and good old Williams with eight points. You gotta love them holding up the basement. Now, the one retirement that we had today, he finished in 10th, Sebastian Vettel. He is officially done in Formula One. He is retiring. It is his last race. For those of you who don't know who Sebastian Vettel is, he is a four-time world champion, 53 wins, 3,098 points, which includes 57 pole positions, 38 fastest laps, and 122 pole positions. I should say 122 podiums. That's anywhere between first and third. Sebastian Vettel has been in Formula One itself for over 16 years. He also becomes the youngest driver. He won his first championship in 2010 at 23. So congratulations, Sebastian Vettel. We will definitely miss you next year and the year after and the year after that. He hasn't actually said if he is officially done with Formula One racing. He just says that there are more important things in life like his family and all of you know, family and other environmental, um, environmental projects that he wants to do. Everybody knows that he is definitely a spokesperson for cleaner driving, better environments, uh, equal rights, all of those wonderful, wonderful things. So F1 is definitely going to miss you, but congratulations, Seb. Now to wrap this all up, this is the last podcast for 2022. The next time you're going to hear my voice talking about a wonderful, wonderful F1 race will be the 2023 season. We're talking March 3rd and 5th of 2023 in Bahrain. But this won't be the last time that you hear my voice even in the off season. I do plan on doing a series of the history of Formula One. We're going to be looking at the 10 constructors teams, their history, and some things that you may look forward to in the 2024 season. Until then, talk to you later.